Dude, you what are up? exploding this year. Thank How you. How is it to be right here at Woodstock 99? I think it was finally, uh, finally puts everything to bed. Like, that just solidifies everything I've been doing for 10 years right there to the world, to the millions of people that are watching that, you know, I've worked my ass off for 10 years, and I don't want to sound like a little cocky bastard and... I don't have a big head, I'm very down to earth, but I know I'm one of the most talented people in the world and I finally got to display that. Fucking, he's a fucking cool kid. He's he's got more important things to think about. He's thinking about New Orleans and those jumbo, jumbo shrimp. shrimp. He can't be all about spelling and shit. Hell no. Only Joe C spells, <laughs> and even yeah. then, only his own name. He, yeah, he's, it's, he's only got four letters to deal with. Like he <laughs> like he's cool. He could deal with that. And I think you you need to be that focused when you got a ten foot dick. <laughs> that's like that's a lot to deal with. We don't you don't think about like how logistically difficult to, it would be to have a ten foot. Dick. I actually think every single time I hear that line, I actually do think about that. Like he would have to have like one of those things that you like use to wrap up extension cords, yeah, and like just tuck it in his pants and bust it out when he goes to the urinal. Just wrap like, it all the way down around your leg. Like that's that's worse. That is worse than being three foot nine. Is having a ten foot dick. It's just always dragging behind you wherever <laughs> you go. You gotta be careful not to trip on it. Don't step on that. <laughs> Welcome to Polishing Turds with Nick and Cal. My name is Nick. <laughs> I am Cal. <laughs> and this is the show where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of bad music. <laughs> oh, they were both like, that's the best intro we're getting. Just start here. I'm never, I'm never going to run out of fun ways to say that. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome to part three of our obscenely long study of the obscenely obscene man, Mr. Robert James Ritchie, a.k.a. Kid Rock. All right, we're finally here, Cal. <laughs> we're, we're, it's devil without a cause. I know, and this is, this is the real start, I think, to most people. Yeah, this is where people probably thought we would start. Yeah, I did, <laughs> and I work on the show. <laughs> but uh, no, how would you kind of summarize where his career started at and like how he got to this point? I really liked how you described it as he kind of had a false start. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most accurate description. It's like he had some unreasonable success for a 19-year-old in Detroit, 19-year-old white rapper in Detroit. Yeah. But it collapsed quickly, and I think that's where no one knows that whole part. But then he now we're at the the real start where he he makes an album that actually goes platinum and gets everything he wanted. Yeah, and it took it took ten long years, but he, it just finally all kind of clicked. In part one, you know, I I said he leaned on the Avril side, and what <laughs> I meant by that is Avril just found immediate success. Yeah, just tremendous get, luck. Yeah, right away. And it seemed like he had that, but he, he did not. He turned out to be more of a Cyrus. Yeah, it was a bit of like a mirage in the desert kind of a situation. Yep. But uh, like now it's now it's for real. But he doesn't have, hesitate to reference this and let you know that he toured with Ice Cube when he was 19. Oh, yeah. He'll tell you. You know, I kind of think of uh, this. This is a five part series. So I kind of think of it as being like uh, The Wire 
you know, that, that <laughs> five seasons. So first season, yeah. it's first season. It's kind of average, you know, just like kind of like a regular cop show. Second season takes a wild left turn. You're kind of confused as to what's happening. Third season, it really gets going. It really starts to get that good. That is a so. fantastic analogy. <laughs> so yeah, based season three, baby, let's go. All right, folks. Well, today, as we alluded to, we will finally be covering some music that most of you have actually heard of. Today's episode, of course, will focus on the 1998 album that made Kid Rock a household name. I'm talking, of course, about Devil Without a Cause. All right, Cal, we were listening to this album as we were uh, driving over here. So what do you what do you think of it now? Like listening to it today with adult years obviously we were big into this when we were kids but now just as grown-ass men how does it how does it hold up i guess i have two main things that stick out to me uh so as a kid i didn't understand the idea of sampling i didn't know what that meant i genuinely thought that kid rock and his twisted brown trucker band just wrote all this music Mm -hmm. and listening to it as a music nerd adult i realized there's not a piece of original music on this fucking album. <laughs> He's just cutting up everything that other people have done and rapping over it. So that that hurt my enjoyment as an adult. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was surprised by is how aggro it is. Oh, for sure. And, and I think back, you know, he clearly wanted this to be jamming party music, yet it has this aggro element. Yeah. And that got me thinking, like, as a cultural trend, like, you don't have that anymore at all. No. With like pop music, nobody wants aggro anything. Everything needs to be chill if you're going to be playing at a party. No, that was like kind of the vibe in the late 90s was like everything was tailored to the taste of like pissed off young white men. Yeah, and I think also it was all the um the X Games like rad attitude. Yeah. We're not going to just have a chill time here. We're going to have a fucking party like it was different. You know, it's kind of funny the chorus in Ba with the Ba goes get in the pit and try to love someone. Apparently the original lyric in the demo that he handed to Atlantic records was get in the pit and try to kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> like, so he actually wanted, he wanted moshing, like moshing aggro guys at his shows originally. Yeah. And now it's funny to think about that in retrospect. Cause like, think about what happened at Woodstock where he played. And of course, Limp Bizkit played, but like Limp Bizkit got in trouble because people actually got hurt during their show like imagine if like that's like a he told me to do this (laughs) i'm sure it was a lawyer that told him to change that lyric like just like dude that is a fucking liability clause waiting to happen (laughs) it's like oh what what else is what else kind of fits the meter like i I guess you can love someone right (laughs) that's what we're really doing out in this pit it's love man we're coming together I uh, know. Yeah, I, th- I think you're uh, totally right about all that, Cal. Um, the sampling stuff, I think we'll talk a little about a uh, bit more about that later on. I definitely got a few things to say about that. And uh, it's, su- it's super heavy, super aggro, much more so than anything he had done to this point. Yes, it is a noticeable, noticeable shift. Yeah. And I don't know if that was because he saw where music was trending and what was getting popular. I'm sure that was a big part of it. Or if like he was just genuinely getting more pissed off like at that point in his life for some reason but i gotta say overall this album is kind of a guilty pleasure for me like i still think it's it's extremely dumb but (laughs) i but i still find it fun to listen to i probably never 
will again for a long time after we do this series. But it's uh, it's just, you know, shut up now or put I... my balls in your mouth. It's funny. <laughs> I felt that way about, I think, like the first four tracks. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, yeah, I got in that headspace of like, I remember this song. Uh, it, but it, the second half kind of fell apart for me, even with nostalgia goggles. Yeah. I, I kind of felt like this is less catchy. This is kind of more confusing and bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you get to like, you get to the later tracks. It gets like even more aggro, but then you get to only God knows why. And you and find out he is a soul. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we begin, I just want to share this little quote from Kid Rock himself. This is from an interview that he did with The Guardian from 2015. And by that point, Kid Rock had just long since moved away from the kind of rap metal you hear on this record. So he says, quote, Rap rock was what people wanted at the time. And they still love those songs at shows. But it turned into a lot of bullshit. And it turned out to be pretty gay. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm just <laughs> laughing at the fact that, like, he is such a stereotype of that time period. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it's even worse because like the the second half of that quote, he kind of goes on to like say like, and if you think I'm not going to say gay to be politically correct, then fuck you or <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, OK, you're so edgy, kid. Right. <laughs> you know, but I don't know. Like, what do you what do you make of him saying that about the music that made him famous? I think it, it just feeds into what we already were hinting at about him, that none of this is genuine. He is just always hitching a ride on, on whatever he perceives will take him to success. And, you know, this one, it happened to work. I don't I guess I'm not that surprised because when you listen to an album like Double Without a Cause, like <laughs> at no point are you thinking like, man, this guy is really a thinking, feeling artist. You know? Yeah, like this is truly an expression of what's going on I, it, in his soul. Yeah, it feels <laughs> like a cynical cash grab, even at his early phase here. Yeah. Well, it fucking worked at the time. Like it This did. album like got really good reviews. We might get into some of that later, but it's uh, like it just it, it hit all the right marks. It went, you know, super, super platinum. So I don't know. I guess we were into really gay shit in the late <laughs> 90s. I'm just I trying to like imagine like uh, going to a gay bar and they're playing Kid Rock. <laughs> I'm like fairly confident that that has never happened even once in yeah. the history of the planet. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. But whether or not it's quote unquote gay, Devil Without a Cause was the monster hit that Kid Rock had always craved. It might be hard to understand today, but something about Devil just seemed to capture the zeitgeist of that era. Each track pulsates with hyper-masculine bravado, a dirty concoction of old-school beats and head-banging riffs that feels like the soundtrack to some kind of bar fight. Everything about this album is over the top, from the production to the lyrics to the sheer audacity of Kid Rock's cockiness. Unlike his first LP, it's clear that Kid Rock is taking nothing for granted. He digs deep, employing every gimmick, every production trick, every musical reference he can think of to make sure that you're paying attention. And you know what? It worked. Kid Rock screamed his name, and we paid attention. He bragged about being a badass, and we believed him. He told us he was going platinum, and we made it happen over 14 fucking times. (laughs) Yeah, 14 times platinum this album eventually went. The single worst thing humanity's ever done. (laughs) The worst thing. (laughs) 
So without further ado, today we are going to celebrate the singular absurdity that is Devil Without a Cause. But first, we have to explain how it all came to be. Let's go back a bit. Recall that moment at the end of our last episode where Kid Rock invited the folks from Atlantic Records to his sold-out concert in Detroit. He had hoped that his wild extravaganza of a show would impress them, and it did. Kid Rock received a record deal with a $150,000 advance. He told his associates at the time that he intended to make a, quote, redneck shit-kicking rock and roll rap album. You can't say he didn't achieve that. No, I mean, Yeah, that's... say what you want about the album. Like, is that a noble goal? <laughs> is, that, is that what the world needed at right. the time? Apparently, yeah. And that's the type of thing, too, that makes him so, like, criticism immune. If you were to go up to him and say, that album was fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I don't think he'd be upset. There was some guy in, uh, you know, 1998 that was perusing uh, record shelves. And, uh, you know, he maybe had a couple of CDs in his bag. You know, maybe some uh, Dave Matthews, some Alanis Morissette, you, you know, uh, some Nora Jones. But none of it was redneck shit kicking rock no. and roll rap. So that was a, a market that needed to be filled. Yep. Now, by the time this came out, had Rage Against the Machine was around, right? Oh, of course. They'd been around since the early 90s. You could argue that they started like rock rap. Yeah, I mean, they're how you they're an example of how you do it right. Yeah. And Limp Biscuit, arguably, I would say is. Like I, you know, Fred Durst aside. Well they, they're, they yeah, were doing some interesting shit. They yeah, so they had their first album in ninety seven. They probably have much better redneck credentials than Kid Rock. Right. And they're more closer to an actual fusion of rock and rap than kid rock is he just nailed the business end of it like we've talked about before this guy just understood innately like how to fill this market with the exact product they wanted if it's marketed right you'll buy it (laughs) for kid rock and the twisted brown truckers everything seemed to be in place to record their shit kicking album they returned to the white room the studio where kid rock's creativity had blossomed in the early 90s But there was just one problem. He couldn't find the songs. Indeed, at the most critical moment of his professional life, Bob Ritchie was afflicted with a massive case of writer's block. It's the scariest part of being an artist, I think. Yeah. Once you're signed, you know, you you make an album that's an expression of your soul you've been thinking about the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then you get signed on the merits of that album. Now you got to do it again. And it, that just seems like an unspeakable amount of pressure to me. Oh, for sure. Like, it's really interesting when you consider how this record is like very overdone, overproduced, like and very confident, very boastful. It feels like he knows exactly what he's doing. And then you come to find out that he like kind of did it all in the last week, basically. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it it's actually makes me understand why he loves Trump so much. <laughs> it's got a very similar vibe to that of like... He's just riffing, yeah. Yeah, he's just making it up because he knows what the people want to hear and that's all he needed in the first place. Yeah, so um, so it was a very difficult process recording this album. Um, like, first of all, there was like a shit ton of partying going on in the studio because like he's finally like on somebody else's dime, mm-hmm. you know? So like he just, he takes the advance money and he uses a bunch of it on like cocaine and strippers and shit like that. Actually years later, Eminem was doing an interview, I think with spin and he talked, he, cause he did a verse on this album yep. and he, 
talked about seeing like all these types of like debauchery and drugs going on in the studio. Uh, he says, quote, Kid Rock was in full party mode with tons of different drugs just laid out near the studio mixing board. There were Playboy Playmates just passed out naked with coke in their nose. It was overwhelming. I love these moments when like a guy like Eminem says something like this. Because <laughs> you're always like, you know, if he's saying it, he actually, this shit was out of control. He actually said that Kid Rock introduced him to cocaine. Oh like, my God, Kid Rock, why? <laughs> so yeah, sending Eminem down that path perhaps because Eminem actually didn't do as much drugs when he started as people tend to think. But then when he kind of started rapping about drugs and had this image of being this drug user, he just decided to live up to it. Right. And that's when his problems started apparently. I can't say I wouldn't do the same, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, like, like how do you, you just have these tendencies to begin with. Like it's fun and you have no reason not to. And you, you're like I said, you're on someone else's dime. Oh yeah. People so. are giving it to you for free, practically yeah. shoving it in your face. Yeah. So it, it, it makes sense. Apparently also, he was kind of getting into arguments with the guys at Atlantic records over like what the album should sound like. They wanted it to like, I think be less rap than he wanted. Basically kid rock felt that he was being micromanaged and that happens to everyone. Avril Lavigne said that happened to her first album. Oh, I'm sure. You know, if you're making a pop album, you know, again, as we've said a million times, it, it becomes a more of a business venture than an artistic one. Yeah. And I'm sure that you have a million people that, they understand demographics more than music and they're the ones in your ear. Yeah. And it's like, it's like any other job where like they lure you in with like all these promises, like it's going to be so great. You're going to be able to do whatever you want. And then like, once you're in, they're like, okay, now do this. Yeah, that, now other you're, you're going to do what I want. <laughs> so then like, yeah, like he, he just like, he spends months just kind of dicking around, like not really having ideas, like doing too much Coke. And at one point, like the deadline was like two weeks away. So, Kid Rock and Uncle Cracker decided to just kind of take a break, clear their minds. <laughs> uh, they go down to Memphis and party. They go down to New Orleans and party. Uh, get those jumbo shrimp, man. It is it's all he thinks shrimp. about. <laughs> Apparently the jumbo shrimp didn't do their trick because he came back and they just had nothing. And I find that specific moment so relatable as a writer. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm just going to step out. I'm going to like get some inspiration. I'm going to take a bike ride or like, I'm going to smoke some weed. Like, and I'm going to come back and I'll like, I'll have a fresh perspective. And then you do all that. You come back and all you found out is that you just wasted even more time. <laughs> so yeah, then uh, like that happens. But then finally, like a week left before the deadline, he cleans up the studio, kicks out all like the strippers and hangers on. And then he just kind of bangs the album out at the last minute. As someone now who's listened to a whole lot of pop music through doing the show, I can kind of tell, but I don't think I don't think I would have even as a kid. Obviously, I didn't. No, because like back then, like I thought this was like a monumental work of genius. Yeah. But again, it's because you're thinking through this lens, this naive lens of like he wrote all this shit. Yeah. You're not thinking that he just cut and paste stuff and wrapped over it, which is what we learned most of it really is. If you had never heard like any pop music and the first artist you ever heard of was Weird Al, you'd think he was like the greatest structural songwriter of all time. <laughs> it's like, wow, how's this guy coming up with so many original like melodies and chord changes? You know, just that just happened to be about baloney and shit. <laughs> that's that's kind of how Kid Rock is. But yeah, um, he obviously he finished it on time. And there are kind of two things that helped out with that. One was that 
Uncle Cracker that we mentioned in our last episode that he is one of Kid Rock's writing partners and he co-wrote almost every song on this album. That's incredible to me. I, I never would have thought I w- you would never look just like Google Uncle Cracker. Look at what he looks like and just imagine that this is the type of guy that could write a, an album that goes 14 times platinum. I think it happens more than we want to know, honestly. <laughs> you know, the, the, the person who's the face of the music, the artist whose name's on the, the CD case, mm-hmm. half the time is not the person that, that it was the secret <laughs> of the success. Oh, for sure. It's like sure. Star Wars. Like how the, the George Lucas's wife, I'm blanking on her name, but she was the lady who did all the editing for the original trilogy. Oh, and I didn't know that. There is some very strong evidence through the years that like she is the reason those films work. Oh, yeah, editing it had is nothing cru- to do with George Lucas and his editing dumbass. is crucial for any film. So I, I totally believe that. Yeah. And actually, historically, there have been a lot of females in film editing that like really are key to making it work because you can have a great film with a bad edit and it just yep. it ruins everything. And, and then we're sitting here talking about it and I, I don't even know her name. And I know the story. <laughs> Fucking toxic ass males yep. that we are. <laughs> So Shame the uncle us. Uncle Cracker is the George Lucas's wife of Devil <laughs> Devil Without a Cause. Yeah, somebody please edit his Wikipedia page. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I just got to point out three of the twelve tracks on Devil Without a Cause were actually re-recordings from previous songs that came out on uh, on his other records. Yep. And I have you to thank that I for why I knew that. Yeah, I had no idea until I actually started listening through his discography. So yeah, like 25% of this album isn't new. Honestly, he could have got away with 60% not new. Could have gotten with 100%. I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone would have known because the everything up we've talked about up till now was so underground. Yeah, it, it would have just been like a few thousand people in Detroit would have been like, huh? Yeah. Like everybody else was like, yeah. I already knew you were the bull god. <laughs> Devil Without a Cause landed in record stores on August 18th, 1998. And while this album would eventually go platinum, as Kid Rock insisted, it was a rather slow burn before things finally got going. The first single from Devil was actually not Baw With Baw, but rather the track Welcome To The Party, an old school rap tribute that sounds totally different from the rest of the album. It's an odd choice for a lead single. Let's check it out and see if you guys agree with me. <laughs> oh, I think, I think Kid Rock has a weakness on picking his hits. Yeah. I gotta be honest, because like we mentioned in episode one, like Yodeling in the Valley, yeah. weird choice. Yeah. And I think this one is a miss as well. Because yeah. to me, this is one of the weaker tracks on this album. Oh, for sure. My main reason is this is the most like 1980s ass basic rap is just starting rap I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get away with this in, you know, what, 99, is it? 98, yeah. And you want to be like, we're way past my name is whatever, and I'm here to say. We're way past that. 
And it's like not even enough time has passed for like the nostalgia to become cool, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a really odd choice. And it just it doesn't sound like the rest of the album. No, and I I think in 1999, if you put this on at an actual party, I think people would be like, what the fuck are we listening to? So, yeah, this quick way to clear the room. It's like put put no scrubs back on. What the fuck are you doing? Also, like, just let me just completely nerd it up by pointing out that if you were paying really close attention to the songs in this series, you'll notice that the the main sample that's used in that song is the same sample that he used in the song Genuine Article that we played in episode one. It's from a song called Free Your Mind by a group called The Politicians in the 70s. Wow. Okay. I did not notice, actually. No, it's I'll a, admit. Yeah, he's uh, he's ripping himself off, basically. Right. Well, he's ripping himself off, ripping off the <laughs> No, but yeah, but uh, welcome to the party. It's, it's, it makes sense too why he talks about letting your mind be free. You know, then it's <laughs> he's referencing the original track. Oh, I didn't. I missed that. How did I miss that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what else I love about that song is like just the way that his like voice cracks on certain yeah. lines. Like, only got asked for just one girl. It's Fred Dursty. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's really cute. It's adorable. Uh, yeah. So um, that single, like, you know, predictably didn't really go anywhere. And then the next one was I Am the Bull God. That one he released in November of 98. And that makes a little more sense. Yeah. That like, one I could see why you would think that's your... I, it might be the best one on the album. I don't know. I think so. I that's the that's the only one that I still think is kind of cool, even when it's dumb. But then finally, in like early '99, he releases "Ball with the Ball," and that's the album that like it, it gets uh, played on MTV a lot. And it's kind of with that that the album finally goes platinum in May of 1999. And Cal. Tell us why it's so significant for this album to go platinum. Because <laughs> he's going platinum. He literally has a, a whole chunk of one song where that's that's the lyrics. Yeah. Dunna, dunna, I'm going platinum. Yeah, that's, I mean, it goes on for a while. Yeah, that's the, the title track. That's the hook is like, I'm going platinum. <laughs> you better hope you do. The Apparently, the record company was really against him using that <laughs> just line. Just in case. Just because they're, they're mathematicians. They're hedging, hedging their bets. But uh, I just I'm trying to imagine like Kid Rock as these months go by, you know, he's just like looking at the sales <laughs> charts, like, you know, biting his on. fingers like, come on, I'm going to look so stupid. <laughs> Please go platinum. <laughs> so like just it must have just been like, you know, like more of a relief than like a euphoria. Yeah. When he actually got that like golden or platinum disc handed to him. <laughs> All right, so uh, that kind of wraps up like the prehistory of Devil Without a Cause, and now I'd like to spend some time discussing a few of the songs on this record. And honestly, if I wanted to, I could probably think of something to say for every fucking track on this e- album. Easily. But alas, um, because we live in the United States and our Constitution forbids cruel and unusual punishment, <laughs> I think it is uh, probably wise to play it safe and just focus on a few select songs that... I think are the most important. And the first one I want to talk about is Bawa Now, we already touched a bit on this in part one, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. Let's start with uh, that hook, that iconic hook that this song has. Bawa 
All right, Cal. So my question to you is, what did you think that meant as a kid? <laughs> I I never at any point had any fucking idea, dude. <laughs> I honestly just pictured a, a group of like weird fucked up adults, you know, <laughs> chanting some nonsense thing. I don't know. I had no idea what it was supposed to be. I remember uh, we talked about our friend Tony that introduced us to Kid Rock. And at one point he developed like this like elaborate theory about what it went like ball with a ball, like the two balls and bang to bang meant like sexual intercourse somehow. <laughs> and then diggy, 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 like meant getting the the phallus further inserted. <laughs> it's just, it was something along those lines that he had a like a whole thing of what it meant. But that's uh not what it means no. thankfully <laughs> like just you, i'd be giving kid rock way too much credit if he had an, if he came up with ba with the ba and, and, and it is, meant anything what the story you just told me is like proof why of why he had middle schoolers so enraptured with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah cuz it sounds brilliant if you've never heard it before right um so okay so what does it actually mean where did it actually come from well, basically what Kid Rock is doing here is he's taking a classic hip hop line and turning it into this, you know, testosterone infused like metal chant. So the original Bawataba came from an old school rap legend named Busy B. You ever heard of this guy, Cal? Nope. And, and that's fine. Like this is like very esoteric early New York City rap. Like some of our listeners may know who he is. Um, most probably won't. Like most should. Like it's, it's like, he's very like important in rap history, but it's just one of the things that just gets overlooked, right. You know, as by our, all of our cursory, right. Yeah. You know, musical history. Every genre has got characters that you would actually have to dig in to learn about. Yeah. Like if you're a metal fan, like you should know a bit about like blue cheer maybe. Yeah. You know, but like, or like, like Celtic frost, a good example. Like all the metal yeah. heads are like, Oh yeah. But really influential. But you ask the average person like who, yeah. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, so Busy B was kind of one of those guys. Um, he was born David James Parker in 1962. He and he just started rapping with like those really early uh, generation of hip hop pioneers in New York City. He took place in a number of uh, rap battles, and one of them was this kind of classic confrontation with another rapper called Cool Mo D in December of 1981. Now, this was one of the first recorded rap battles in history. And it just this tape just became legendary among old school purists uh, like like people would like pass this tape around. And like that was like just how people related to hip hop before the record industry was actually pumping out LPs. So during that rap battle with Cool Modi, uh, during Busy Bee's burst, he says these immortal words. Well, I know you and y'all know me, so I welcome y'all to the place to be. Come on, I'm signing off right here on this city's short shot to enter this contest for this trophy right here. I'm talking about a busy beat here. I go, y'all. I go one, two, oh shit. Ball with the ball, but dang, dang, diggy, 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 sick the boogie to the bang, bang. I go ball with the ball, but dang, dang, diggy, diggy. Come on, come on, come on. Right now, y'all, it's time to prepare for the number one wrap up. Kid Rock just takes things and makes them shitty. <laughs> I, was, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's cool. And like you, like you had just said when we were off air, like that's better than Welcome to the Party, and that was like a decade earlier. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's so. Uh, so that's where you get ball with the ball, the bang, the bang, you know. And then, uh, and then he kind of used it like uh, 
like a little bit later in some of his other songs. I think like other rappers like kind of appropriated it. It just became kind of like an, one of those in sayings that people knew in that community. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so weird because it's like equal parts tribute and appropriation. Mm-hmm. I had this analogy I've been, I've been kind of toying with and I feel very conflicted about it for personal reasons, but I liken Kid Rock to like Quentin Tarantino. Sure. You know, like, so Tarantino, brilliant filmmaker, like just huge figure for me personally. But a a lot of his films are just referencing other films that he personally liked growing up. And usually it's a film that like the average cinema goer would have no idea even exists. But Mm -hmm. like, because he's such a nerd, he just like takes it puts it in his film and kind of lets you assume that he thought it up. Right. You know, and like Kid Rock is basically doing the same thing in just a much more crude, inept way. Right. It's like he's just taking other people's shit and just putting it in his song and like, you know, kind of making it his own thing. But, you know, 95% of people who bought Devil Without a Cause think Kid Rock invented Bought with Tabah. That's the secret of the whole thing. Once you realize he's not adding anything... He's also not a magnetic enough or cool enough guy to add something just by existing. No. He's, like, he's just not. He's just a, your average Romeo Michigan white dude <laughs> that happens to be pretty good at rap compared to most people you know. Like, is anybody 20 years from now going to, like, steal a Kid Rock no. line and use it in their thing? That's uh, one of his favorite, my favorite lines in Devil Without a Cause. I forget what song. I think it's a song, Devil Without a Cause. He goes, I'm going to, there is no doubt. In my mind, I'm going to stomp all over your test of time. Really? <laughs> and again, you're kind of like, why would you think that? You just, you basically just cut up someone else's song and rapped over it. I don't. Yeah, there's a lot of doubt in my mind. That yeah, that why album... would that stand the test of time? Like this album, I think it's aged like fucking milk, right? Oh, it's terrible. It's yeah. Like, like it's, it sounded so cool at the time. It got really good reviews from like Rolling Stone, All Music, you know, Village Voice. Everybody loved this album and when it came out. And so now, hard to explain. Like nobody's going to write a retrospective today about how awesome devil without a cause was the only stuff i've seen like that was written in recent years is like kind of cheeky ironic like stuff in like the new yorker of like like oh guess what i'm listening today kid rock (laughs) you know by like fucking soy boys and shit but no it's uh it's really it's it's amazing when you really do a deep dive like because on the one hand you got to give kid rock credit he's got great taste yeah in music like he's yep. the guys that he's referencing if you just amassed like a box set that was the bibliography of artists that kid rock took from it'd be like some banging ass yeah, fucking for music real. yep you know just it gets distilled into this yep now if that wasn't enough um it's also been claimed that the breakdown of kid rock's bawa contains a quote-unquote reference to the riff from Pantera's Cowboys from Hell. Let's check that out and see if we can uh, adjudicate this a little bit. The one that I always thought it was ripping off was uh, that Frankenstein song, which I learned about through the band Overkill, but it was originally by the Edgar Winter Group. 
Wait, is that one that goes like dun 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 Oh, that's yeah, that's even that's even more direct. Yeah, I mean either way, we know Kid Rock didn't write it. He ripped off someone somewhere, so we can at least agree on that. That's funny because that's not even like a major part of that song, Baba to Baba. It's just like, but just like every little part of it is is coming from something else. That's all these tracks. I like I couldn't I can't pick out every reference. I'm not that much of a musical photograph memory guy Mm -hmm. but i can tell that like 90 percent of that album is coming from stuff now that i'm listening to it with like more musically mature ears yeah you can hear it you're just like yeah every note on this album is plucked from something i like if any of you out there are like uh like junior college music professors or something like that i challenge you to like devise a course where all you do is like take devil without a cause and just go through every single source material <laughs> in there and just like one by one tell the history of that band or that song. I honestly wonder if you could like just hold your phone up and do the uh, the song finding app <laughs> yeah. and just see how many results you <laughs> can get that. in a single Kid Rock song. <laughs> That'd be so funny. It it thinks you're playing like Fleetwood Mac or <laughs> you know, Pantera or whoever. It's, it's just Kid Rock. This is Warren Zevon, Werewolves in London. <laughs> That's no, awesome. He replaced it with his superior lyrics where he rhymes <laughs> things with things. Finding, you know, like if you're trying funny things, you know, one of those funny things is smoking funny yeah. things, Cal. Like just like... How do you not stay true to life and, you know, not talk about that? And that song, the best part is when he, he says we were he literally says we're swing, singing Sweet Home Alabama all summer long. And then he gets to play a riff of it without <laughs> it being a ripoff because he said, yeah, that's what we were listening to. Because when he mentioned that, you know, I had no idea what Sweet Home Alabama yeah. was. I'd never turned on a radio ever in my life before. So, like, it's really important for him to play a lick from that <laughs> so that I have a frame of reference for what he's talking about. I mentioned back in the Miley episode when she, in her one song, says, and the Jay-Z song comes on. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was maybe, like, the first case of an artist referencing a different artist in their song as if they're cool by association. <laughs> no, it was not the first. No, she, she learned it from somebody. <laughs> That's awesome. I forgot about that. Now, next up, I want to talk about the fourth single from this album. And this is a song, which I consider to be one of the most ridiculous tracks ever recorded, not just by kid rock, but really anybody else <laughs> ever. And I am talking about, the song Cowboy. Well, I'm packing up my game and I'm going head out west where real women come equipped with scripts and fake press. Find a nest in the hills, chill like Flint, buy an old drop top, find a spot to pit. Then I'm a kid, rock it up and down your block Go with a bottle of scotch and watch lots of crotch. Buy a yacht with a flag. The top left back and the sunshine shining. Cowboy, baby. West Coast with the 
and they said country rap couldn't be done. <laughs> it's been done. Actually, you you joke, Cal, but there are many like writers that consider this to be the actual first country rap it, song. I I, you know, I hate it that it exists, but I agree. Yeah, no, for real. It's uh, in fact uh, there are supposedly and like I haven't had the diligence to truly follow up and like get quotes, but. It's been said that this song had a big influence on modern country artists such as uh, Jason Aldean uh, and Big and Rich. If you're like legit fans of either of those guys, DM us and like say like whether we're full of shit or not, because this is what like other like articles have said about like, you know, because there's definitely a lot of country rap going on today. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it had to start somewhere. Why not with Kid Rock? This is actually maybe the only time he legitimately advanced music. <laughs> not, I mean, not in a positive yeah. way, just, but in a, in a measurable way. In a measurable way. Oh, dude, yeah, this song, I, I have, I struggle with this because this is the the type of person that would like this song is the type of person I genuinely generally hate, and that yeah. clouds the whole thing for me. I can't make an unbiased judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as I hear that first verse kick in, <laughs> I just, it's nails on a chalkboard for me. There's a lot of really interesting things about this song to me. And one is, and I don't know how much you caught this, Cal, but if you really look at the lyrics, this song really isn't about being a cowboy. No, not at all. In fact, it is very specifically about moving to Los Angeles to become a pimp. Kind <laughs> of pimp those country women. Yeah, like he's, you know, started escort service for all the right reasons, set up shop at the top of Four Seasons. Like he talks about spending all of his time on Hollywood and Vine. It's very like just, you know, okay, he wants to be a pimp in L.A. Fine, I, I guess, you know, but why is that being a cowboy? It's He wanted to make country folk feel cool. That was his <laughs> only goal. It was, can I, can I write a song that country people will like? but also makes him feel badass, cool Hollywood pimps. Well, it's so funny because later on in his career, we're going to get songs about how, like, sitting on a porch, drinking PBR, shooting off guns with a Bible and a Jack Daniels on the table. Like, he's going to, like, just embrace that, you know, mm. mentality completely. It's because it's, it's whatever you think is cool enough to buy is what I think is cool. Like, he's, <laughs> his, that's all he is. Yeah, if it's marketed right. Yep. <laughs> Honestly, I really think this song is so over the top that, uh, you know, just think about how much is going on. He's got, like, female backup vocalists. He's got a harmonica. He's got, like, this, like, fucking sp uh, spaghetti western guitar <laughs> reverb. It's just There's even, like, a ragtime breakdown at one point. Oh, actually, that yeah, that's the next uh, bit I wanted to cover. Um, so... We played you a bit from the first verse, but I want to focus specifically on the third verse of this song. And that is where this album, like, or sorry, this, this song truly reaches the zenith of absolute insanity. So I just, I just like, I'm sorry to like really bombard you with this, but I just, I can't let this go. So let's play a little clip from the third verse of Cowboy.
There's so much. Do, do you any point you want to start at, Cal? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> uh, how about yeah? This right in your bone. <laughs> That's in the unedited version of the song, by the way. He went with that consciously. I, I, I honestly, that moment, that one specific bar. If he had never done anything else, that would qualify him for an episode of Polishing Turns. <laughs> Nothing says I'm a badass like self censorship. <laughs> right in your bow. He uh, didn't want to actually admit even in a malicious way putting his dick in someone's ass because we all know he's incredibly homophobic he's not gay he yep, goes to he's not fucking gay he goes to great lengths on all of his albums yeah. to tell you how not gay he is <laughs> so you know that is a that's a matter of record i guess i also just want to mention like he says uh no remorse for the sheriff in his eye ain't right i'm a paint his town red and paint his wife white we're picking a, a, on our friend Tony a lot in this series. I, 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 I never meant to do that. He's like, if you're out there, man. Yeah, I haven't spoken with him in like a, a long, long time. But like, n- nothing against him. He's a he's a great dude. Um, but like, it's, I can't. When uh, we were kids, he uh, I asked him what that meant. What paint his wife white meant, and he said it meant uh, he's gonna marry her. <laughs> like so she's sweet. gonna wear the white dress that's so, so sweet that's adorable <laughs> i like and i wonder how he came to that like it's totally possible to me that like he asked his mom what that <laughs> meant and she's like uh, uh oh oh it, oh it means he wants to marry her that's right Tony. now go along and play leave mommy alone <laughs> Sorry, I feel like there's a 95% chance that's exactly what happened. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking amazing. This guy, this guy like had a direct channel to our young minds in the same, you know, the same minds that like the folks that dare or, you know, like the net, like National Education Council was trying, like spending billions of public dollars trying to like access our thoughts and our like future. And like Kid Rock just blazes onto the scene in his Corvette and like just hijacks all of it. Yep. You know, it's, it just takes him going caps of meth (laughs) one time and that outdoes all of dare. (laughs) All right, all right. I will finally lay off Cowboy for now. I just had to, like, there's there's so much there. So, yeah, so that song, I think that represents some of the more imaginative, you might even say silly, dimensions of Devil Without a Cause. But most of the tracks on this album, they've got a much like, harder edge tone. Like, this is, at times, this kind of borders on new metal with how yeah. aggro it is. And as we've said before, that was the vibe back then. Yeah, that was, was a conscious choice, I'm sure. Yeah, it was, you know, Corn and Limp Bizkit and Slipknot. You, you, if you were there, you you know. And uh, and I wanted to kind of represent that a little bit in our analysis. So the song I'm picking for this section is the one that is simply titled Fuck Off.
know the more times you say fuck, the more badass you are. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a direct positive yes. correlation. More fucks equals better than. And, you know, in middle school, I actually believed that. I thought this was a badass track. Oh, yeah. Everybody did. Like, because that's like, I, I can't remember the age. I think it was like fourth grade when I first noticed that the other kids, mostly boys in class, were swearing. And I think that was also the year that South Park happened to come out. Probably yep. had a big thing to do with it. But like, no, it's just like I swore more often when I was like 11, 12 than I do today at 35. Yeah. It's uh, because, you, like, like you said, you think it's cool. Yeah. And at least in our day, too, you know, it still kind of had some taboo. People would get upset if you said it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And nowadays, I feel like middle schoolers, like, you, they have to do a lot more than swear to get the teacher's attention anymore. So. <laughs> you still can't say fuck, but, like, you can say, you can say ass, you know, I think on TV now. Like, you can even say shit sometimes. Depends it's, on the channel. Yeah. But at the same time, like, stuff that Kid Rock was totally getting away with, like, like all the homophobic shit, like, you know, nobody cared about any of that. That went in one ear and out the other for me. Yeah. I did not even stop and think about it. It was all about, he said, fuck, that's yeah. edgy. That's the stuff I was focused on. I don't know about you, Cal, but I think this was my favorite song on the album when I was a kid. I think mine was the title track. This was yeah. a, t- a close second. I have a specific memory of like playing this in the car when my dad was driving me to something or another. <laughs> and he going through the line. You just sense his disappointment. Like, <laughs> fucking all your bitches, we don't fucking give a goddamn. And he was just. He was such a good sport, like sitting through the whole thing. But like, I, I feel like that was just like, it like broke him. Yeah. It was like too much for him. Nick, and, you can do better than this. And I, I just like, I feel secondhand the, the hurt in his soul when he had to like listen to his son letting this shit fall into the like crevice between his ears. That's how I felt that way the first time I watched the entire family jam out to Boom Boom Pow. <laughs> except i will i will give it this though boom boom pow does not have um like lyrical themes that make me uncomfortable for children no i mean it's sexual but like they don't get it they don't see it that way uh, i mean you don't want your kids growing up to be 2000 late yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's less tasteless than kid rocks lyrics no because those are like am i watching my child become trailer trash before my eyes <laughs> no i i feel you Cal. i would i'll take stupid over evil Yes, I know. And I just I still wrestle with this. Like, did this album was this the reason that I tried so many drugs as a teenager that we tried so many drugs (laughs) as teenagers? Like, I don't I don't know. It contributed because this gave me the message loud and clear that like this type of uh, lifestyle is cool. Yeah, it just like I feel like it just laid groundwork somehow like this is possible. This is a thing you can think about Mm -hmm. besides you know, Nintendo 64 <laughs> caps and, of meth, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, like, you know, your stupid little Trek bicycle, you, you're thinking about shots of Jack yeah. caps of meth. Like that's just, that's introduced into the, the equation. All and, the cool kids are out getting forties. Yeah. Like I didn't know what a 40 was. It took me years to figure out what half of this shit meant. That's true. Yeah. But the fact that my early association with it was a positive one, like, I don't know, man. Like, would I now be like a, a fucking Rhodes Scholar 
would, would I be the, the chair <laughs> of a department of political science at Berkeley if if I hadn't heard Kid Rock? Yeah. Kid Rock corrupted my soul. I don't know, man. Like, I guess you got to like hack into the metaverse to find that out. But I don't know. It's, it's I don't know, man. Also, uh, it's so funny that uh, on the clean version of this album, this song and Black Chick White Guy are just completely off the record. <laughs> So like, there's no way they could have cleaned it up. They just had to like take it out wholesale. I yeah, I actually I get that and I agree with that. Yeah, you get to this point of censorship where you're like, what am I doing? They should have like the the clean version of this record should just be Welcome to the Party. Like <laughs> nothing. It's, else. A, it's a CD single. Like who's to blame? I don't really know. <laughs> okay, now for the last song in our analysis, we're gonna take a complete 180 in terms of style and tone. You see, this is the uh, this is a slow trunk. This is uh, the track number 10. This is the serious ballad. And Kid Rock himself referred to it as his free bird. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll uh, we'll you'll have a chance to test that uh, theory out a little bit. But this, if you don't know what we're talking about, this is the song. Only God knows why. I've been sitting here trying to find myself. All right, again, Cal, where do you want to start with this one? I feel his pain because after we've become such famous podcasters, and (laughs) there's a price you pay to be a big shot like we are. I think that's that's my favorite line personally in the song is he's all like sad. You know, there's a price you pay to be as fucking awesome as I am, basically is what he's saying. Am I supposed to feel bad? I'm confused now. You know, my favorite line is... uh, they say that every man bleeds just <laughs> like me. I love too how the auto tune kicks in right there. It's like bleed. It does the auto tune thing? Oh God! Um, we will talk about the auto tune in just a second. Um, but first, I got to tell you like the story of like um, how this song got written. So, Kid Rock actually wrote most of this song from a jail cell. Apparently, after uh, they got the deal signed with Atlantic. He and like his crew were partying and things must have gotten out of control because they ended up in a jail cell. See, Chad Kroger, that's how you do it. Yeah. That's how you actually be badass. No, like he writes about that. Kid Rock kind of lives it. So he's like probably like sitting in the drunk tank, you know, maybe sobering up a little bit and he like looking for the payback. <laughs> I need to rewind myself. Yeah, you know. Maybe that was the last thing the cop said before he like slammed the cell door. It's like, you need to rewind, rewind yourself, boy. <laughs> you know, so it's just like this is this is his like, you know, attempt at like a freebird type ballad. It's like you know, just like uh 
I'm a, I'm a man searching for his own Dude, soul, I, whatever. He, you know, he comes off to me so much like the American Psycho character, Patrick <laughs> Bateman. Like, I just don't think there is a real Kid Rock in there. Because this song yeah. to me, it, it just, it's so not genuine. And if this is his actual like reflection in a jail cell, <laughs> this is as deep as we're getting. I think it is. I, I think that, I, I, I disagree, Cal. I think this is the real Kid Rock. I think that this... This is all he cares about is being famous. Like, you know, like he could have been a middle class guy, you know, managing a, a successful auto dealership. He could have uh, or he could have just taken his dad's money and gone backpacking through the Himalayas and meditated with the Dalai no. Lama. You know, like this. This is what he chose but to he do. He needs to be a big shot. And this he's going to pay the price. This is all that he cares about, you yeah. know, and the price to him. Okay, let's let's just acknowledge for a sec. You know, he goes out, gets rowdy, gets thrown in a jail cell. There's a little bit of white privilege there that Big he can time. that he can come back from that and write a hit song and not just get like shot dead. <laughs> you know, for, that was a fun weekend. Two, you know, so it's just he wants you to feel sorry for him, like you said, but. There's, it doesn't land if you're if you're any kind of person with any kind of real problem at all, mm-hmm. and you're listening to this guy complaining because he's too famous, right? And he keeps saying, <laughs> and then the whole course, even that only God knows why it's like this. <laughs> it's like, buddy, I, I think you're in control of your behavior like a little bit. Only God knows why you got famous, bro. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, and then finally, we do have to talk about the auto tune because I think that is the, actually the most fascinating thing about this song. Because we've talked about auto tune on yeah. this show, Cal. Like we, I think we both have a generally negative opinion of it, and perhaps that's just because it's so ubiquitous nowadays. Yeah, it's it's the way it's used. It's used as a crutch for shitty singers, and it's just kind of become it's too prevalent. I think it has a place. Like mm-hmm. it could be used in a song as like a cool vocal effect or something like to enhance a song in some way. But right now it's just in everything the entire time and it drives me nuts. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's it's become very overused and passe. But but I think you got to think about when this album came out. Uh, this is 1998. This is one of the earliest uses of autotune that you will find in a major like multi-platinum album so i'll let me just kind of like dive into a very brief shorthand history of autotune so uh, autotune was invented by a guy named andy hildebrand he was a phd research engineer who had previously worked for oil companies he developed a technology called autocorrelation an algorithm that uses seismic waves to create subsurface maps that oil companies can use to find potential drill sites so yeah, makes sense so far. Yep. And uh, eventually he realized that this same technology with just like a few little tweaks could be used for pitch correction in music. And uh, apparently he was a par- at a party at one point and one of his colleagues jokingly asked him to make a device that could help her sing in tune. And this guy just took it seriously. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, and, and then uh, he worked on something that eventually became auto-tune and it was bought by Antares Audio Technologies in 1997. Um, yeah, that's when they released it. And I don't know if you remember this, Cal, but the first like major pop single that uh, utilized auto-tune was uh, the Cher song, Believe. 
You you remember that one? You yeah, you better believe I remember it. it was, I it I hate that fucking song. <laughs> it was a, I actually kind of like it. I think it's a, kind of a banger. I loved the South Park one where they they have like a constellation party and they put <laughs> yeah. on the new share and it just sounds like that's that's how i hear it for real <laughs> they use it as a device to like force these people out of <laughs> yeah. the building because they think it sounds so horrible uh, but it, it was a major deal at the time and whenever you read articles about auto-tune it's kind of it's that song is kind of credited with bringing it to the forefront and making it like something that was used not just by like artists who wanted to sing in tune when they weren't like really legitimate but like an actual legit established artist who was using it for that warped effect when you purposely sing a little bit off key and Mm -hmm. it corrects but here's the thing that song came out on october 19th 1998 devil without a cause came out in august of 1998 which means that only god knows why preceded believe which means, if I'm not mistaken here, and please email us or DM us if I am wrong about this, this is the first pop music song to prominently feature autotune as a conscious device. All right. Kid Rock was patient zero. <laughs> Isn't yep. that incredible? Kid Rock started autotune. So his contributions to the musical world are country rap and autotune. <laughs> I, I think we can't say of anything like, the world would be an objectively better place without <laughs> Kid Rock. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, yeah. In terms of sheer influence on music. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah, that's, it goes far beyond what anyone would think. Like, because those are, those are two major, major things in, in modern pop so music today. Every single one of you auto-tuned rappers is standing on the shoulders of a giant. Kid Rock. <laughs> a giant wearing tank tops and a fucking <laughs> drinking Robitussin. <laughs> the fucking bull god, baby. <laughs> that is that is unbelievably amazing to me to think that that all started with the guy who sang Yodelin in the Valley. <laughs> uh, yeah, so definitely listen to that song and just, just think about how only God knows why this ruined music. <laughs> All right, so that concludes our section on the songs of Devil Without a Cause, but I want to also take some time to focus specifically on the lyrics. Why? Well, simply put, this album contains some of the most ludicrous rhymes ever put to paper, and yet they are delivered with such bravado, such cockiness, that oftentimes you don't really notice. What I'd like to do right now is take some time to share some of those lyrics, uh, like out of context. And I want to do that in kind of a fun little way. So, Cal, I've written out a bunch of uh, some of my favorite lines from Devil Without a Cause on little note cards. And I've kind of folded them up. And I figured I'm going to lay them on the table here right now. And we're just going to, like, randomly, by turns, take some of these cards and read them out. You can, you can like, try to do the Kid Rock voice. Or you could just like do it deadpan like we usually do. <laughs> we'll do dramatic readings. Yeah, whatever whatever you want. I just want to have fun with this. And I just but all of these are actual fucking lyrics that he presumably wrote. <laughs> he he thought this out. He and thought said, this That's out. the message I want to give. Yeah. You know, with a, a fucking million dollar backing from Atlantic Records. So uh, right. do you want to do the honors and start, Cal? Yeah, let's go. 
I went from St. Clair Shores and drinking specials at Winners to New York City $700 dinners, from hanging with sinners in secondhand cheap sex to getting much respect from record execs. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about that is, because uh, he's trying to like say, like, you know, like I went from the bottom to the top, but like, what does secondhand cheap sex mean? That's a good point. <laughs> Like, bro, I thought you were pimp of the nation, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, Instead, you're taking sloppy seconds from your buddy George. <laughs> like, I'm picturing that, like, he's like watching, you know, Uncle Cracker have sex. And he's like standing in the corner jerking <laughs> off. When's it going to be my turn? <laughs> I told you this is secondhand cheap sex. It's your turn when I say. <laughs> like, poor kid. <laughs> All right, my turn. Old as piss, but small as ass. That's one of my favorites. You know what that one's from? That's Joe C. Yeah. Old as piss, but small as ass. What is that? <laughs> I, I've thought about that lyric over and over for years. I know. It, it doesn't mean anything. Old as piss. I, I guess I can see that one. It's like a just an old school saying. Yeah. But small as ass. It's like, here, Who's you ever, ass? You ever see something that's small and go, that thing's small as ass? <laughs> I'm old as piss. It's like, goddamn, my tips were small as ass today. <laughs> they used to call me funny when my nose was fucking runny. Now this fucking bunny's getting fucking Matchbox 20 many. <laughs> that was one of those lines I, as a kid, I thought was cool. And now I'm, I cringe just reading that out loud. It's like, when was your nose fucking runny? Like, did you have a post-nasal drip problem right. or of all the things kids remember getting teased about i feel like that'd be pretty low on the list so like, he knows bobby <laughs> <laughs> all right i roam the country like the greyhound bus put faith in lust and in god i trust i'm not peter pan i don't fuck with fairies but i bust more rhymes than virgin cherries <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's one of those ones we were talking about. Like he you have to he has to tell you how not gay he is. Yeah. Once a track. He's not Peter Pan. You don't fuck with fairies. I actually I'm glad that I drew this one, Cal, because um this is like a misunderstood lyrics situation where like for like twenty years, I swear to God, until I actually looked this up uh for this podcast, I thought it was I don't fuck with fairies. But I bust more rhymes than birds eat cherries. <laughs> like, okay, the virgin cherries thing's like, okay, I guess it's more on brand, but like, I kind of want it to be birds eat cherries because it's so dumb. But yeah, like, just Kid Rock, he is so not gay. He's gonna, you, like, he really, really needs you to know that. Yeah. And any, anything to make a rhyme work, I feel like, is how he writes this stuff. And it, <laughs> and it's all good. I got love for my honkies. We roll thick, kick ass like donkeys. <laughs> I always th that was another one. Like if you, if you think about it too hard, it gets dumb. Because mm -hmm. like okay, ass donkeys, I get it. But he's saying kick ass like a donk. Like the donkey is the ass in your play on words. Yeah, I mean I get that, but like you know I just imagine like just he went on stage. And in front of like anybody who wanted to hear said, I got love from a honky. <laughs> like if you said that in any context nowadays, how would that play? <laughs> like, you know, just like 
say to like any person of any race, I got to love for my honkies <laughs> and like fuck? just just in what wait for the fucking record scratch <laughs> like to everybody to look at you like, what is wrong with you, brother? <laughs> I'm stepping to your crew with the click of Hicks. Got three LPs, but I ain't got no hits. <laughs> That's not a brag. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is another one where like, do you want us to feel sorry for you, kid? <laughs> it's like, you know, not only are is your are your albums failing, but like you got to like roll with Hicks. It's like, yo, I got to hang out with uh, Jim Bob from the bait right. store. And, you know, Johnny's got a cleft foot. Like, Nobody in LA likes me. <laughs> I don't steal from the rich and give to the poor. I take from my bitches and give it to my whores. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, bet, I guarantee you he thought that was a great one oh, of course he, he did. thought that was super clever <laughs> he already told us too he's not peter pan so i guess this is at least consistent if anything yeah oh wait sorry i'm thinking of robin hood i'm confusing my well he's not peter pan myths. or robin hood no now is he subsidizing his whores you know because uh if he's a pimp they should be giving money to him and then he should like be taking his bitch out to a nice dinner. So really, if he was like just doing his thing properly, it should be the opposite. It should be the exact opposite. But that's not what rhymes, obviously. So like like you, you keep saying this, Kyle, and you're right. Like he will bend into like fucking contortionist positions to make a, a rhyme, even if the actual content of it makes no sense at all. Oh, I like this one. Who planted that glove? Man, I don't care. I'm too busy running fingers through your mama's hair. Ooh, that's that hurts. He's not just fucking my mom. He's like actively seducing her and playing her emotions. Yeah, I actually, I actually, I, I like that lyric. It's a, it's a very nice visual. Like he's, <laughs> he, he's just, he's, he's, he's making that stupid mama. ass Macaulay Culkin smile while he's about to bang your mom, <laughs> looking right at you. Meanwhile, OJ's getting framed, bruh. <laughs> I I got a whirlpool, don't even ask. Licking pussy underwater shooting bubbles up your ass. <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> I mean, there's somebody that would enjoy that, right? Like, how long could you lick pussy up underwater before Not you could, long. Like, like, how long can a human being last without air well, longer than it takes to like do that successfully and i have several questions like i got a world why would i why should i not ask about your whirlpool what's going on here it's <laughs> don't even ask it's like hey kid what's going on and then i guess i'm still trying to figure he's, he's gonna lick someone's pussy underwater but shoot bubbles up my ass i'm just <laughs> the whole of this i can't no, I, I thought he i thought he was shooting bubbles up the ass, ass of in- her ass like but maybe maybe it's like <laughs> she's looking pussy while you're getting bubbles so <laughs> <laughs> like, i'll tell you what man like you know hang out with kid rocky is cool but don't go into that whirlpool yeah. man. <laughs> for someone who wants to tell me how not gay they are <laughs> a line about shooting bubbles up yeah <laughs> <laughs> Step inside my shoes. You couldn't fill them, Doc. You're too old to kid. Too soft to rock. Oh, shit. Drop the mic. <laughs> this is, yeah, that's some real, like, uh, like old school, like, you know, 
parking lot of a shopping mall type rap battle. So. Yeah. <laughs> to, you know, let's say it's a play on words. Too old to kid, too soft to rock. Yeah. All right. As, as far as Kid Rock goes, I'll, that's great. B plus. It's clever. I don't know. Like these days, he kind of is too old to kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. I don't even know he knew who this person was. Ayn Rand couldn't stand me, so she banned me. That is the most puzzling one on the entire fucking record. I cannot figure out why he wrote that at all. I'm going to put this in the Oedipus bucket where, like, he's heard this <laughs> name and he knows smart people, like, have thought about this person at least once. <laughs> like, but he doesn't know what it is. Like, I would think, if anything, Ayn Rand would kind of like Kid Rock, don't you think? Yeah, totally. I, I agree. His politics kind of fit. Yeah, it's that's just such a weird thing. Like, because when you consider that, like, you know, as Kid Uncle Cracker said, like his audience at that was like, you know, young white kids mm-hmm. who like dropped acid. Like, not many of those. Maybe like, like when they like go into rehab, they'll come back and like become real Randian assholes. But like that just doesn't seem to track with whatever no, what what his whole vibe is. This one to me definitely speaks of him not really fully understanding what Ayn Rand is. <laughs> Maybe like it was on his dad's bookshelf and he yeah. just like thought the name looked cool or something. Albert Einstein didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so he bite me. <laughs> oh god. Huh, huh. My girl's knocked up. We're in love, but she's young. And you know I think I'm going to get locked up. God damn it. <laughs> it's really... not often people admit to a, a statutory rape in the songs. But yeah. Here we like, are. That's from the song Fist of Rage. And like, I think the whole vibe is like, like the whole song is about how he's like, you know, pissed off and everything's setting him on edge. But like, and like, that's one of the things that you're mad about that like, I might get in trouble for impregnating an underage chick yeah God, the world's bullshit <laughs> it's like yeah i kind of don't care about that bro oh man all right this is a long one you ready break it up let's tie one on i gotta get set to go and cut the lawn <laughs> so i grab my walkman but before i cut i go behind the garage and fire it up <laughs> is this, this is just about getting high before you mow the lawn <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, just, I just that's from i am the bull god um uh, i just i just find it funny i don't know it, why yeah no that's it's a really weird thing to if you're gonna talk about how much you love drugs and glorify your drug use i wouldn't use cutting the lawn as my story my example <laughs> yeah it's like you ever gotten really high and cut the lawn that shit's <laughs> wild <laughs> Like I just figure if he if he is the bull the bull god ain't got time yeah, to, the to cut his lawn. Yeah, not cutting lawn. Bull god like you know eats the the grass maybe, but you know it's like I if he's doing as many drugs that he, as he says he does in that song, like that lawn is fucking overgrown. No, he's in he's somewhere else diving off waterfalls and skydiving, and he's not cutting <laughs> his lawn. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, that that concludes that little segment. I think that was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are many more examples, by the way. That was like a dozen of like like thirty six that I had originally. We could have like, just done lines from Cowboy alone. Oh, for sure, absolutely. All right. Well, returning to our main story, Devil Without a Cause turned Kid Rock from local Detroit legend into a multi platinum superstar. A key moment came on July twenty fourth, nineteen ninety nine, when Kid Rock put on a stunning performance at Woodstock ninety nine, and. Uh, I got to say, 
Um, if you've never seen this, go on YouTube and just like look up Kid Rock Woodstock 99. Whatever you think of like his actual music, the performance itself and the way he sells it is really good and really effective. And um, it got rave reviews at the time. And I think it's super fucking fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm not going to knock him on this ever. He has a presence and his songs are memorable. There yeah. is something about his live performances that like, I don't know, he, he, he pulls you in. He's fun to watch. Like he comes out, you know, as Bawa to Bawa is looping and he's got like this big fur coat. He's got a cane. He takes off the fur coat dramatically and goes, my name is Kit. You know, Joe C is there hopping around doing his thing. And it's just like, yeah, you get kind of sucked in. Yeah, like, for sure. Especially, I don't know, if you didn't know what a complete asshole he became in subsequent years, like, and this is all you knew about Kid Rock, and you would think he's a cool guy. Yeah, I think. So, just like looking at the roster of Woodstock '99, we talked a bit about like how wacky the setup was in our Limp Bizkit episode, but he played at one fifteen in the afternoon between the tragically hip and Wyclef Jean. That is so fucking weird. Can you imagine <laughs> just being in the front row for that through those three as your lineup? Yeah. How tonally confusing that is. It's like, no, I, I like all these guys equally. Yeah. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm just like super eclectic, bro. Yeah. Music appreciator. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that was a big moment for him. That was uh, kind of what really started to get him more and more noticed. Like, he was already platinum technically by that point, but like it just like it just really started to snowball into like, oh, this guy is like a really big thing now. Yeah, no, I I still remember the vibe like nobody was making fun of him yet. Yeah, it still felt like he was actually cool. And then in uh, February of two thousand, Kid Rock attended and performed at the forty second annual Grammy Awards. He was up for Best New Artist, an award he ultimately lost to Christina Aguilera. Though the nomination was flattering. The irony was not lost on the kid. How could he be considered a new artist when he'd been releasing music for the past 10 years, including one album on a major label? I think it's with that in mind that Kid Rock constructed his next album, The History of Rock. This is mostly a compilation of songs from Kid Rock's indie years, the stuff that we talked about in our last episode. And you could argue that this was a bit of a cash grab from a newly hot artist, but I think that on some level, Kid Rock genuinely wanted people to believe that he was not an overnight success. What do you? Th- I don't know. What do you think about that, Cal? Do you like remember this thing? No, because actually, I this is where I signed off of Kid Rock. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I think I liked Devil Without a Cause for a while, and then it just kind of left my music musical registry. Yeah, um, but I do agree with what you're saying. I don't. I don't think it was purely cynical. I mean, one thing we know about him at this point is he's got a big ego. Yes, absolutely. And I, I agree. I don't. I think he wants his his struggle to get here to be memorialized somehow a little better than these old tapes floating around. Yeah, like he's just he's a creature of such pride. And and when he was making those early albums, like he he thought like like this is legit. This is fucking badass, you know. And he he pro- it it probably really graded on him that he was making those tapes and ICP was like selling 10 times what he was selling in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, you know, like they always talk about stand-up comics, like how they're always like really bitter and resentful towards each other's success. I think, uh, you know, musicians and probably especially like rappers and these types of rappers 
are the same way. Yeah, like, for uh, sure. Like, you know, like how do you do everything you possibly can and then lose out to a guy in clown makeup? Right. Uh, I also think it's interesting that when you kind of look at some of Kid Rock's business decisions around this time. Um, so we mentioned that he got a $150,000 advance to do Devil Without a Cause. I read somewhere that he took 40000 of that and used it to buy back the masters from Continuum Records who had released um, the Polyfuse method and fire it up. And uh, and then he later sold those masters back to Atlantic for like millions of dollars. <laughs> Gotta fuck- respect the hustle. Yeah, he's a fucking savvy dude. And uh, as we kind of touched on in our last episode, uh, the history of rock, the songs are like kind of remixed and re-recorded. And it's just like, it's fine, but it doesn't sound as good as they do on the, the early stuff. Yeah, that and I won't say it again, but that happens all the time. It's a shame. But uh, the main reason I wanted to bring up History of Rock was because uh, it's got this uh, one quote-unquote original track. And I am putting original <laughs> in heavy scare quotes here because more so than anything we've talked about to this point, um, this is like the most blatant use of oversampling that Kid Rock has done. I actually think that like this is the first of like a new category. I'm going to call it like kid rock karaoke songs like (laughs) it's not just like he's taking a sample and using it to make it his own thing it's like he is rapping over somebody else's song and that of course is the song american badass and I've set up and caught out this stage with my own two hands. We've traveled this land, packed tight in minivans. And all this for the fans, girls, money, and fame. I played their game and had to scream my name. I will show no shame. I live and die for this. And if I come off soft, fix you on this. Are you scared? Devil without a cause. And I'm back with the beaver hats and Ben Davis slash 30 pack of strolls. 30 pack of hoes. Rogaine in the propane flows The chosen one I'm the living proof With the gift the gab From the city of truth I jabbed and stabbed And not critics back And I did not stutter When I said that I'm going platinum Selling rhymes I went platinum Seven times It's still the ill They want to see us ride I guess because The only God knows why 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 I just wanted to give a shout out to our, our friend Megan. That <laughs> yeah. We were on a, a road trip to Nebraska and we were like, probably like 19. Mm-hmm. And this came on the radio naturally. And I still remember this, Megan, if you're out there and you still listen to this. <laughs> that was, uh, this came on and it, we, you know, we she realized it was Metallica. And she just had this <laughs> horrified look in her face. And she goes, but why would they let him do this? <laughs> and the way she said it was like perfect. It was I- so funny. I hear that and I hear like Cindy Lou Who, like, why would you take yeah. a Christmas tree? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's royalties. Yeah. And, and what we're talking about, guys, is this is that is straight up Sad But True by Metallica. Like yeah. the intro and everything. He didn't change a note. No. He just raps over their song. I know. Like he's not like taking the guitar riff and like adding an 808 or like taking the guitar riff and like tweaking it adding distortion like just you know like sampling is fine like sampling is not is is integral to what rap is but you gotta find some way to make it your own (laughs) this is i'm gonna rap over your song 
Like it just it feels like he just like he must have like forgotten that the record company had asked him to come out with a new song <laughs> and like somebody like called him at like three in the afternoon. It's like, kid, when's that new song ready? It's like, what what new song? It's like, dude, it's due by six PM. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, I get better get to the studio. Like Sabatru's on the radio right there. <laughs> yes. Well, this is pretty badass. What if I just rapped over this? Yeah, so it's just fucking slapped together and you know what uh this is around the time that um lars ulrich is freaking out about losing you know money to napster so maybe that's why he like let kid rock take his song but yeah it's just it's so brazen and so shameless well i i don't know who bought it because i i there i would imagine there's quite a bit overlap between kid rock fans and metallica fans yeah, it's, and it's I not like it's not like Busy B. Yeah, you know? and I don't know who hears that and goes, "He really made this better." Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you're out there, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, like if you really love, uh, you know, sad but true, but just like, but don't want to hear about Hetfield's meditations on like, you know, man's inner nature. You just want to hear one guy rap about how cool he is and how many hoes <laughs> he fucks. You know, then I guess this is the song for you. And it's like, like, but there's even like lyrics where he appropriates others. Like there's like, there's a, there's a whole verse where he just like shout outs, like uh, artists that he likes, you know, ACDC and ZZ top, you know, just like, I just, hate that shit. Yeah. It's uh, he just, and then in the, the hook, he says, they call me cowboy. I'm the singer in black. It's like, bro, you're going to rip off Johnny cash. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. So that I have a big problem with that. I don't know why. I guess part of it is because it is Johnny Cash and he's like, you know, it's one thing to rip off you know, Metallica or, you know, anybody else, but to rip off a guy of that stature and not to mention that, like, I've been doing this research for months now. I've seen so many pictures of Kid Rock either performing or doing interviews or just on the street or wherever. He almost never wears black. Right. <laughs> he's it's like if he wants to say I'm the singer in a you know in a stained wife beater, like <laughs> cool, like that's your that's your thing, bro. That's on brand. But you are not the singer in black. Nobody ever called you that ever right. until you enter that studio booth. The history of rock was Bob Ritchie's attempt to write a prequel to his own success story. But where would that story go from here? He had made it to the top by writing the coattails of rap rock, a style of music that he apparently thought was quote pretty gay. The savvy businessman in Kid Rock knew that he couldn't keep at this forever. He resolved to move away from rap rock and pursue music that was closer to his heart. Over the next few years, music fans watched with confusion as Kid Rock inched away towards country music, recasting his identity and his audience along the way. And the story of that transition is what we'll explore next time in Kid Rock Part 4. That was a doozy, man. I know it's it's weird that we spent uh, we spent basically a whole episode on one album, uh, but I, I didn't see any other al- way. It is the album by mm. him. Absolutely, it's the most memorable. Everyone knows it for a reason. Yeah, even though it's stupid as fuck, like I can't think of any other album that I have that many individual reactions to. Where like almost every line comes up, and I'm like, what did he say? <laughs> Even with like Limp Biscuit or Billy Ray Cyrus or Black Eyed Peas or anybody else, I like I can't find this many 
dumb lyrics per capita yeah. on any other album. I know. Even when we were listening to this, I was like, there's there's so much I was thinking of that I could talk about that by the time we sat down, I almost blanked out. You're, like, you know, you're like, it's just like an overwhelming amount of stupid lyrics you could talk about. Absolutely. But uh, and next time, like, I think most of you know that like Kid Rock pivoted away from this type of music and he started making country and, you know, like, like so- the Southern rock and blues and like all that type of Can shit. Can I take my stupid ass formula to other genres? Yeah. So um, and I know, I know, Cal, you are such a big fan of country music every time <laughs> we bring it up that... <laughs> You're just going to have so much fun with our next episode. Yeah, no, I know. Nothing gets me going like country and kid rock together. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned for that. Um, otherwise, thank you guys for listening. Um, uh, thank you for just sticking with this series. Yeah, definitely follow us on social media. Uh, share your thoughts. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can you can find us uh, by searching. Uh, if you want to email us anything, we are polishing turds podcast all one word at gmail.com uh thank you so much for listening uh stay tuned for more fucking kid rock hell yeah and you know just keep thinking about new orleans and those jumbo shrimp i'm thinking about it right now and what is always on trend cal gratitude damn right motherfucker Ten foot dick, ten foot dick, ten 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 foot dick.